and gentlemen, welcome to the Art of Disruption podcast from Tabare, bringing you the world's best artists and gallerists wherever you are. Hello and a big welcome to all you arts lovers who are joining us for this Art of Disruption podcast brought to you by Tabari, which is a new art tech platform on a mission to bring you the life stories of some of the greatest living artists from all around the world. This is your host, Will McBain, recording live from The Gambia. And on today's show, I'm going to be joined by an artist who's full of fire and passion to recast the image of Africa and African descendants through his art, and who's looked to the Central African and Kissi and Kondi power figures of the Congo Basin to tell a story of beauty and brutality. Before using nails, gold leaf paints and coffee stained woods in his work to create powerful portraits, this artist was previously on course to join the ranks of the NBA, after winning a Nike basketball scholarship to travel to the US from his home in France during the 1990s, uh, but who now enjoys representation from October Gallery in London and exhibits widely in Europe, Africa and America. I'm talking, of course, about the brilliant Alexei Peskin. Uh, Peskin will be talking to us about how the events of the last year, uh, particularly concerning the reckoning taking place following the murder of George Floyd, has affected him and how he uses his art to process anger at the injustices he's challenging. Uh, Peskin will be talking about how his use of nails are steeped in metaphor, both of the pain inflicted on black people, but also how nails are a creative tool to build and establish in the best traditions of African blacksmiths and metal workers. We'll be talking about how he develops his distinctive style, how travel is in his blood and how he's taken himself to over 30 of Africa's 54 sovereign states, including a drive through the length of the Sahara Desert. All of that and more coming up in just a moment. It's with great pleasure that I can introduce Alexei Peskin, who was born in Paris in 1979 and whose signature works are large-scale mixed-media portraits of the African diaspora, uh, but also works across digital, installation, photography and film, exploring personal and political narratives rooted in the black experience. Uh, Peskin refers to his work as acupainting, and here at Tabari, we're interested by how artists have dealt with the challenges they've faced since last year. Uh, so I started by asking him how recent events have impacted his work. As far as work, like it depends. Like you know, like right now I got um I got my solo show at October Gallery. Um, uh, so this I had to do it like in two months. So it was kind of crazy. Uh, you know, at first I was like you know, and and, and also right before that, the fact that we had the lockdown, I, I started doing like a lot of reading and stuff, and I felt like. Uh, um, I've been, I had been um, uh, scheduled to do a show. We do shows like every three years. Like every artist of, of, of the gallery does a show every three years. So, so I felt like, so I was supposed to um, um, do it this year. And then I started doing a lot of reading and I felt like, oh, maybe I should, you know, maybe it's not the best time. Maybe I should wait a year and uh, like another year or something. And so I asked uh, Elizabeth uh, Lelouchek, like, uh, um, you know the art director of the gallery, how she felt about it. But she was like, you know, nah, man, like you should run with it. And um, I mean, because I had like there was so many things, like you know, so much stress from you know being like uh, uh, locked down and 
seeing the regular thing that I, like that already stressed me and that you know prompts to do my work you know like police brutality like you know racism and, and, and inequality and these things but like the fact that you know we were locked down as you know everybody know this stuff was in our face and we couldn't like do anything about it we can like you know walk it out <laughs> you know we can uh, um, we had to see these things we woke up with these things on our phones and everything so it was like you know extra stressful and um so I mean, in terms of creativity, like that's how my power figures went from five figures. And I, I went like, you know, I was, um, I had even more, more stress than, 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 than I, I regularly have, you know what I'm saying? Like I had even more anger, even more, you know, all of that, you know, uh, uh, anxiety from all that. So I kind of put all that, put all that in my, in, in the work. And, but I was just wondering, like, you know, should I hold off, wait a little bit more, um, do more reading and everything. And, um, um, but nah, like she was like, no, you, you, we, we got to do it today. And she was right, man. Like, you know, this is right now that you got to create, it's like a, it's, um, it's a form of resistance. And it's, it's a, it's, I think it's very important for us to be creating actually right now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, how, how do you find anger relates to you and your, your creativity? I mean, anger is a motherfucker. Like you, you don't want to have that, but that's you know, uh, when you got it. I, I guess what's beneficial is the fact that you're an artist and that you're able to transform the anger into something creative and 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 positive. That's why it is. But anger is never a good thing. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. or, or you know, to have that kind of of stress or whatever. Like and. and uh, having seen injustice your whole life like these things like it's is never a good thing but it's just you know we turn it into us artists we turn it into something that other people can uh maybe sometimes benefit from sometimes uh uh learn from um um yeah and us it gets like you know it gets it out of our system not completely but it gets you know it eases a little bit it eases it a little bit off of our system, you know what I'm saying? Definitely. And outside of outside of the art, is uh, you, you know, do you do some kind of martial art exercise to get rid of that extra extra residual anger after you've uh, after you've produced some work? I always like I always uh, uh, work out. Uh, you know, I, I used to be a basketball player, so I always uh, I go running. Uh, 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 yeah, I don't you know. I exercise, um, you know, these these kind of things. Like, you know, just just the the regular, and also try to stay fit. You know. Yeah, true, true. Now we can talk a bit about how you develop your style. Uh, you're a photographer, a filmmaker, and on that note, to all our listeners, I highly recommend you check Alexi's film Aljana Moons, uh, which is a magical short film shot in Senegal that explores themes of uh, black masculinity, youth, and fatherhood. Uh, I watched it researching for this interview and I was uh, deeply moved by it. It captures this part of the world so beautifully. And I had a run at film festivals some years back. But but I hope it's fair to say that you're currently best known for your power figures, uh, which is a body of work thematically linked to the black experience, where you employ nails as brushstrokes and gold leaf paint to create three-dimensional works. H how did this way of creating come about for you? Man, I was, uh, I, like, when I thought about it, like, when I thought it out, I was still at Howard, like, ex experiencing... Uh, different visual languages and techniques like uh, from very early, early very early on I wanted to have my own visual language 
So, so I experienced, I experimented with a lot of things, but uh, it started off when I was doing my master's at MICA, the Maryland Institute College of Art in uh, Baltimore. Uh, and, um, and, and I went from uh, uh, thinking about, you know, doing work with nails to actually doing it when I first got into, we all got like, you know, personal studios. And when I got to my studios, um, there was like this uh, 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 panel, wood panel, and I was like, yo, let me try this thing out that I wanted to try, that I've been wanting to try. And so I went and I bought nails and everything. Um, I translated it. It was an, a photograph of my mother that I had uh, uh, taken, and um, I played with it on Photoshop. Uh, and, you know, I did the dot thing uh, that you do uh, in printmaking. And I transformed, and basically, I decided to find nails of different sizes to 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 change these dots with nail heads of the same diameter. Um, and um, yeah, but like I had before then, I had still worked with that dot pattern that you see in printmaking or in photo photography, uh, and I did it in other ways, you know, scrape like with metal, scraping the metal, drilling holes in the metal of different sizes and stuff. And, um, but, but yeah, the nails like came about, like I was like, I, I thought that it was like very interesting, uh, on the metaphoric level. Uh, so I tried it and it worked. And then along the, uh, the years, like I, I've, uh, perfected, uh, the way, uh, I did it, um, the way I went about doing it, like, you know, uh, the, the, the technique itself and, and, uh, uh, and how to achieve uh the, the 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 illusion the the image you know that's cool and uh, you, you speak then a little bit about metaphor and you know we can talk about from christ's crucifixion to the uh inquisition gondi power figures of central africa nails have helped to tell realities of sacrifice suffering slavery and also protection and construction and building but what is it about the use of nails to you uh, that speaks stories about the human condition and the black experience. Suffering, how uh, nails, you know, how how it can uh, pierce to 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 the wood, like it, you know, like metal piercing to one's body, like uh, you know, um, punitive uh, actions. Uh, and terror, I wouldn't say punitive, I would say terrorist actions, uh, you know, that white folks did, did or, or, or acted, performed on, not even performed, acted on, on, uh, on black bodies uh, from, you know, Brazil to the United States to everywhere. And even like, you know, with colonialism, like uh, on the African continent, you know, so, so, um, uh, savagely so 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 the the metal uh i thought was quite interesting because metal is a is a scary thing is something that can like you know really hurt um the metal when when uh doing slavery you know uh the metal that was uh uh, uh heated to mark people you know as property um all of that, man, like the chain, metal from the chains, uh, um, so much, so, so, so many things. The, 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 and, uh, and then like, there's other things, like also the fact that we were also, uh, blacksmith, 
uh, and we and Goldsmith and like we used metal and we brought techno technologies to to uh, the quote unquote uh, uh, I mean to the Americas um, um, and I don't know I think like metal is quite uh, uh, essential uh, even wood is and, and I thought that the nails were interesting in the fact that you use nails to build things and that they hold things together. Uh, but they're overlooked, uh, and and um, this the same exact way the contribution of our ancestors uh, is overlooked uh, and disregarded. And the best uh, uh, um, the best uh, example of that is how we are still denied. We have been denied for centuries uh, uh, reparations uh, for that. And everybody else got reparations, like slave traders. You know, these monsters got reparations for what they were doing because they were because when uh, uh, slavery was abolished, like people uh, uh, and the governments uh, 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 that say they have you know great values uh, from like you know France to the United States, from all these governments that that perpetuated um, slavery. Uh, um, gave reparations to these monsters um, um, for these monstrous acts uh, and never gave uh, a penny to to uh, enslaved people, to the victims. And still today, uh, uh, it's like, it's really hard to talk about uh, 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 even uh, trying, you know, to imagine having, having that, those reparations that are actually due uh, even uh, legally, but but so um, yeah, I think yeah. The, the to go back to that, like the the, the metal uh, represents, uh, I think um, that that violence, yeah, that violence, and um, yeah. yeah. You mentioned <laughs> the violence that's been inflicted on onto the black body, and if we can talk about the black experience a bit more now. Um, after the murder of George Floyd and also considering how, how black people have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19 in the UK and elsewhere, uh, 2020 has shone a light on the injustices faced by black people in the West, but also in Nigeria through the NSARS uh, protests and violence and elsewhere. Uh, how are you processing all that's gone on this year? Like, so, so like overwhelming. It's like, uh, it never stops. The, you know, this stuff in the stage, this stuff in Brazil, this stuff in, it never stops. Like the, the aggression of the black body is, uh, um, has the same root. Um, and basically it comes from the same, the same problem. The, that problem being that our bodies have been dehumanized, uh, through the plot process of racialized slavery and of colonization, uh, and the propagandas, uh, trying to uh, depict us as lesser human beings um, uh, to try to justify colonization and exploitation of resources on the African continent and Asian continents also and everywhere else. But basically, this uh, campaigns of white and European supremacies in the history books, in the systems, in the minds of everybody, uh, including black people, have lessened us as human, uh, lessened the values of our lives. Like, you know, this still prevails and it hasn't been deconstructed. There's uh, the same problem everywhere. Like, people do not care for black people and do not see the black body 
as um, uh, valuable as other bodies. And so it's okay to beat us up. It's okay to go and touch our hair. Uh, it's so like, you know, from little things to bigger things, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, it's okay to, to uh, when the police, like all pe- people don't see necessarily how um, crazy it is when the police beats us. But now when uh, non-black people, when white people are realizing that the police is actually has a problem with violence, now they're waking up and now there's like, you know, uh, 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 especially in France with the Gilets Jaunes and everything, they realize all oh, these people are freaking crazy. They have like no garde fou, like, you know, they have no guards to like their, their, their craziness. And, and, and again, it's, and it's not that all cops are crazy, but like for, for them, sure, you don't hear no cops are very seldom cops talking about the crazy ones or or, yeah. or 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 trying to fix the problem of the crazy ones we don't see that so so then you can yes you can stay that say that since the institution ain't trying to fix itself then the institution is problematic the institution is violent and the institution ain't really doing anything about it uh, to trying to fix it do, do you think france and the uk um are ready to come to terms with how their privilege standing among nations has a whole lot to do with the transatlantic slave trade and economic exploitation through colonialization. And do you think these this year's events have, have done anything to change that? The people are waking up to it. You know, you see more and more documentaries, people understand. So like they the the governments and the institutions do it when they see that they're being deemed on the wrong side of history. Uh, so, so France is like on big denial, like big, like that's like the main problem of France is this freaking, it's that's like, that's some shit that's like really like drove me crazy during the lockdown that like, that is so frustrating. Like they, like, if you look at even, uh, uh, the way they conduct, we conduct, uh, um, um, debates and stuff like that, how even the how brainwashed like we are, how we don't know uh, history, uh, um, how even the 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 um, journalists uh, are kind of like on the side of white supremacy. The way they ask the question, the way they incriminate the the like certain uh, uh, black intellectuals that they invite, uh, uh, it's crazy. Like. The the I, I would say one of my friends, uh, uh, Mam Fatun Young, asked me. She was writing something I think for, for the Post or, or New York Times. I forgot what it was. And she uh, uh, about French racism. She was asking several people, like you know, to you, what's the the particularity of like uh, French racism uh, and French institutional racism? And to me, it's the denial. The denial is crazy. So in the UK, also like you know, there's like I think. Because, you know, when you look at the wealth and the fortune that the UK built off of, like, slave trade, you know, I think, like, there's also some kind of hypocrisy there or whatever. But I would say that in um, whether, no matter how racist, it, like, the UK or even, like, the US, because US is, like, brutally racist, the questions are still on the table. Like, you know what I'm saying? I feel like the, the issues are still brought up even though there's some kind of level of denial, but the French denial, I think like the denial in France is like up the freaking, like there's none like it, like, except maybe perhaps with Brazil, 
because I think it would be it's even worse in Brazil because uh, there's way more black people in Brazil. Brazil is the the place with the most black people in the world after Nigeria. I'm on that note, Alexia. I'd love to get your thoughts on what concrete steps be made in regards to the reckoning that needs to take place. I've heard people talk about the necessity of repatriation of stolen art, the need to build national museums about slavery and colonialization, also other voices making the arguments for reparations. What do you think is paramount to bring greater justice for this generation of black people and the next? So many things. It's reparations. Like, I don't know how, but like, for instance, like education, education or, or, or property, like, you know, they, like we know that in, in the U.S. there's been like uh, 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 actual uh, uh, rules and laws to keep black people from uh, getting, uh, uh, have, get, getting access to home ownership. And, and We're talking to, of redlining here. Of redlining uh, and many other things. So, uh, yeah, there, there needs to be concrete actions uh, that, that would facilitate uh, black people in America, black Americans, to getting uh, access to home ownership and to get wealth. That's just for that. Just that's just to repair redlining. And then on top of that, you need to add like reparation. You need to add also access to education, like free access to education. I think like shit, like the way black people. I mean, to some people that might sound crazy, but like black people, every black people in America ought to get free education. Like period. Like that's. I think that's that's a given. When when you look at what how america built its wealth uh 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 and with at what level of violence that's like a given like you know what i'm saying uh and brazil the same i would say you know uh uh access to education like free education and uh um to home home ownership and reparations like even like money like you know what i'm saying but you can't be you know in the top 10 uh, uh, wealthiest countries and have done it on the back of like people have killed people like yeah. uh, uh, rape people that like I don't know like I, it's so crazy that you can't even like explain it and then like not 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 a uh, uh, and then like you know open your eyes like crazy when people talk about reparations nah that's like that's normal that's like that's 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 the basic you know what I'm saying so like that's one thing that needs to be done, like education, home ownership, uh, um, all of that, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, uh, healthcare, uh, that's for places like, you know, the Caribbean, um, um, uh, um, Brazil and, and the US, uh, and then- And if you, and sorry to interrupt you, if you think that in the UK we can shut down our economies for it will be 12 months in March when the furlough ends, stimulus packages in, in America and elsewhere, if we, if we can reorganize our economies to that magnitude and that extent for the entire population, then I think the, the conversations around reparations are only going to grow. Yeah, like I mean banks, like British banks, British banks like owe like owe it big time to black people, to African people. They owe it. Like they owe they, they they have to do something. Not just like, you know, do little like Black History Month month things or whatever. Like I'm like in a concrete way, like get some of that money that they made on the backs of blacks, you know, for centuries, uh uh and 
find a plan of action to uh, uh, give it like I mean I mean say yeah give it back like give it back to 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 the people who who, who built that wealth you know what I'm saying uh, uh, give it back like you can't even like and giving it back wouldn't even like repair all of the lies we lost all of the sorrow or you know what I'm saying all of that it won't give it but it will at least you know what I'm saying bring some calm to the ancestors you know for them to see somewhere that you know their descendants are getting some from that you know what I'm saying at least you know thank you and and, and in these vital discussions Alexi what place does art have to reorder and improve society's overall health um, justice and reconciliation well I mean like you you've seen it with um, like things like like the wide awakes uh, um, in the US like doing the like helping the vote and stuff like I think art has uh, can do something when they organize um, in a way where they kind of like merge with um, what's the word with uh, um, activism and stuff. So I don't think that art by itself. Fusion. Yeah, fusion. Like, I don't think that art by itself does much, but like, you know, help us like exteriorate things and people uh, feel like, you know what I'm saying? Because like sometimes, like, okay, let's take an example of a movie. Like people might like go see a movie and might be like, oh, wow. They might be, they might, um, understand the situation and be like, oh, this is terrible. I got to do something or something. Like, but sometimes, like, you know, people realize for five minutes and then they go back to their lives or whatever. So, like, you know, you can't, it can open your, like, art, can you open your eyes to certain things? Um, so, I think it does do that. Uh, but I think it needs to merge with activism to, to, uh, to, to, to be able to do something. Like, and, like, so, for instance, like, people like the, the, the Wide Awakes do that. And there's like many other um, organizations that do it, you know, but like shouts to like uh, uh, Hank Willis Thomas and uh, yeah. And, and I, I know, I know you've done workshops in Brazil in Senegal yeah. and elsewhere. How, how important is it to you to share your creativity with the next generation? I think this is like at a much uh, smaller level, but I'm doing it at my, uh, uh, how I can do it. You know, uh, to me, it's important to give, um, to give, uh, opportunities uh to people who don't necessarily like have them uh 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 because sometimes like some people gave me opportunities so i, I kind of want to do the same thing and give back in that respect um because i think there's like some people that are like very talented but don't necessarily have access to certain things i think it's very important to also have people traveling and seeing other things so it gives them ideas as they go back to their countries, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, um, a lot of times, like, even like if you take like the, the, the example of the African continent, a lot of people from outside, even people, um, uh, from second generation, uh, who grew up in Europe and who parents were African, they come and they're like, Oh, you know, they have ideas of businesses they can try to develop or whatever. But people who are there, if they haven't like, you know, if you, like me, the fact that, you know, I grew up in France and then I travel in the States and Brazil and all, all around Africa, like gives me ideas all like this. Cause like you see other ways uh, of thinking other operations. And so I think it's important. Like 
So with my thing, I try to, whenever I get uh, opportunities, I try to translate this opportunity and, and give it to also to some of my mentees and assistants and people who work with me. So like if when I went to Angola, like I brought um, one of my cousins from Bahia uh, to work uh, as like my chief assist assistant. And he went there and he went to Rio. Um, some of them also went from Brazil to France, to Senegal, to Morocco. And they had never left their states or their city. Um, and it opens your eyes. Like, you know, you, you, you learn other languages. It's very important. That's one of the things that make me successful, the fact that I'm traveling. You know what I'm saying? It always give like, even I travel anywhere, I'll get into something that's going to get, that, that I will get from it. That at some point in my life, that will come back. So I think it's very important to give them the opportunity to travel. Uh, uh, and to talk to other people and to see other cultures. I think this, this is very important. That's absolutely, absolutely vital. And I, and I think, am I right in thinking that you, you visited 15, 20 African countries? Was it last, last year or even this year? Last year, it was, last year in 2019, it was uh, uh, 10. Uh, I've visited a total, in 10 years, a, a total of 27 African countries. I'm trying to buy by the next nine years, I need to do another 27 to do 54 if I'm trying to, because I'm trying to do 54 before 50. And um, so, yeah, uh, so so I've been to like a lot of places and, and uh, um, yeah, like it really opened my eyes. Like it gives me ideas. It, it helps me understand the world. It helps me like be, I guess, fairer in the way I think. Uh, uh, you know, um, and hum more humble, not thinking that the way people think where I grew up is the only way of thinking, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, and this is really important. And talking of travel, I read that uh, some years back that you and a friend uh, drove back uh, from Senegal to France all the way through the Sahara. Uh, what was that like? It was good. Like, actually, I didn't drive because I, I don't drive, but, like, I drove with my friend who had to, like, drive his car back up. Um, and, I mean, like, I feel like I felt like it was, like, a, a, a almost like a, a spiritual eye-opening um, uh, experience, something that you kind of, like, I felt like it was, like, a rite of passage, that something that everybody needs to, to do, you know. Uh, yeah. And it was, like, you know, it was, it was, it was really spiritual. It was, uh, I mean, it was powerful, um, you know, and seeing things change and, um, like, slowly by slowly seeing people change, seeing people, the way people, you know, seeing landscapes gradually change, uh, uh, you know, the way people dress and everything, seeing uh, uh, mosques go from churches, transform into churches and things like that, and seeing that pretty much it's all the same thing. It's, um, it was quite really cool. I mean, like there was like there's a lot of challenges. Like had like flat top, like full flat tires. But that's the kind. Of, if you do it with a friend, like with the right friend, with my friend, we had like you know we laughed like when those things happen and stuff like. It was, so it was like really. It was. I mean, it was great. You know. Yeah, and it, it, incredible. I you talk of the changing landscapes. I, the the one that I found most interesting was. Uh, from Mauritania, going from Mauritania, and you just have thousands of miles of desert, 
and then you mm-hmm. hit maybe sort of 10, 10 miles away from uh, the river near uh, Saint Louis, and mm-hmm. you just go from this beautiful but barren landscape to just this explosion of of life and and the, the color in the dress and the affection that people show one another, which isn't perhaps uh, a, a public trait in Mauritania. Mm-hmm. I found that particularly incredible. I mean, what was what landscape change was your your most eye-opening one? I mean, I went the other way. So uh, one thing that was interesting, like the one that was really interesting was going from the desert to all of a sudden seeing this haze, this blue haze, and then you realize there was like the ocean. You know, like that was crazy for me. Like this, that that was the first time. Like now, I real from since then, I, I realized that there's a lot of places where you have desert and sea. But that was the first time for me seeing that, and uh, that was and then like oh, even seeing dolphins and stuff. Like, it was crazy. Yeah, for sure. Well, it definitely sounds like travel is in your blood. I mean, uh, talking of your family and your father is Franco-Russian. You grew up in Paris. Uh, but am I right in thinking that your journey in becoming a professional artist really took hold in the United States after you traveled there on a basketball scholarship? Um, definitely, like, because that's where, I mean, you know, it's something that graduate, like, because, like, you know, you learn how to draw, you you do certain things. I, I, um, even, like, you know, like, my aunt mentored me when I was in France. Uh, um, I went to a vocational school. So, you know, those, all these are things that you, you learn. Uh, and then I also I've learned things when I went to Howard um, after you know getting a basketball scholarship in high school and then moving on to like college and everything. And going to Howard University, having like incredible like art teachers and everything, and uh, winning art competitions that I've you know uh, uh, applied to when I was there. Uh, um, so that's pretty much when I decided. But I mean, it's like. It's grad- it was gradual for me. You know? It's like it, it's definitely. I would have to say it's gradual. You know, even though it, uh, uh, there are moments where you like, oh, yeah, that's that's what I'm gonna do. I'm an artist. I guess like just stop. You know, stopping to play basketball and just doing art was like one also a pivotal moment. Uh, unfortunately for basketball, but for art, I guess it's a good thing. And then. Um, uh, you know, deciding to to um, I think like well, as as I applied to um, the studio museum in Harlem, which I still didn't get, but like I, there was it was that application, another application when they had asked if you had been an artist, a professional artist for like you know dedicated artist for more than three years outside of school, which I hadn't been back then, but uh, that made me really think, oh yeah, like that's what I'm doing, you know. Uh, I'm to be dedicated uh, uh, to do that because, like, that's that's what I want to do. And then also, I was already like selling artwork uh, in, in school, so I guess I was technically a professional of the arts already. Then, did, did you have did you have aspirations of playing in the NBA when you first uh, traveled, or even uh, then? Did you have your your heart set on creative creating art? Was there any internal conflict? I mean, like, yeah, you always, like, we all, all of us that were playing ball, like, we all aspired to play in the NBA, you know, we, it was all a passion, especially, like, in the 90s, that's where, I, that's when I started, like, you know, it was the heyday of basketball, that's when it exploded internationally, uh, um, for us, we were teenagers in the 90s, and we saw, like, you know, 
you know, the golden age of, of, of the NBA. Uh, and that's where, you know... And French players playing in the NBA at that time as well, right? Actually, when I, I did the Nike camp and uh, uh, Tariq Abdul-Wahad uh, um, uh, was uh, named Olivier Saint-Jean before, uh, he came to talk to us about going and playing uh, in high schools in the States, in college, and perhaps, you know, making it to the NBA. But he was telling us, us how important it was to, or how life-changing it could be to play in college uh, because then you will get an education and whether or not you pursue basketball, you will have that with you, you know, forever. Because, like, you know, basketballs or any sports ain't forever. So, um, yeah, that, that was pretty interesting. Like, and, and he was one of us. He was, like, you know, a young French uh, uh uh, man from like you know the outskirts of Paris and and uh, and, and yeah he, he had made it and then later you know you had people like Tony Parker who uh, we played against or we played with it was part of like you know the crowd every summer because every summer it was like you know all of us would go to clubs either in different French in different French provinces you know because uh, we were all pretty much like from Paris and then we would go to clubs. Or even like European clubs outside of you know France, and some of us will play in college in the U.S. or in high school in the U.S. And then in the summers, we'll all be in Paris, and we'll just hoop together, and we'd often like hoop with people like Tony and other people. Oh, that's really cool, man! And uh, yeah, that must have been amazing experiences, uh, and also playing playing with Tony Parker, what a legend he was. But if I can. Uh, bring this back to art and I'm just very interested to get your opinions on uh, developing art markets around the world. To a question on the African art market and the um, yeah the, the growing exposure outside of Africa about the incredible artistic talent that uh, resides on this uh, continent and of course you have participated in biennales and festivals within Africa. Um, in your own words what can you attribute to the growing interest uh, in art from Africa? Um, that people realize uh, um, that this ex the, the expression coming from Afro-descendants and Africans is important uh, <laughs> because um, artistic expression is expression uh, is a human expression and for sure people of African descent have been through a whole lot. Um, so in general I find that uh, but that's me. I'm I'm biased, but that our work uh, has, especially and today, is from like with the work of people of African descent and of African diaspora is like some of the most thorough or interesting or work because like shit, we've been through the the human like extreme human experiences like black people. That's <laughs> like we showed them like went through it or whatever and there's other people who has but like those communities definitely do so any artist that you know that is a good artist and that or that does some good work and that you know has that experience can create good work so like it's about time but then at the same time like you know i really would hope that um uh we uh would benefit from it that there would be more black collectors that you know some of our works will go to like black institutions uh you know like uh to museum that we open more museums 
um, and um, that basically we 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 tell our, our stories and that like you know we get the the agency uh, uh, um, to to talk about the work that you know uh, talks about our histories you know uh, bringing things back to your work now and you recently had uh, an exhibition at the October Gallery uh, but for those that didn't see it can you uh, shed some lights um, about that exhibition but also uh, what you're working on and what uh, future or what we can expect from your future uh, exhibitions. Falling too much basically is uh, um, is the fruit of um, of uh, all this kind of like anger bottled up. Like you know the the fire figures is you know Baldwin's the fire next time, but it's the fire this time. Uh, you know there's um, the work is like in very subtle ways talks about you know uh how we can't wait anymore and how we gotta you know how it's the revolution and how things need to change and uh you know i evoke things like i'm, I'm using new material like hibiscus uh uh curcuma uh um uh to talk about either uh, the exploitation uh through you know slavery and east african slavery um uh and the arable uh muslim slave trade uh but i'm also talking about you know like the invasions of our homes uh with the piece that i made called sequida or uh brianna the piece called brianna um uh where basically just like you know they were doing back in the day doing slavery how uh, a so-called uh, uh master would go in somebody's cabin and do whatever they wanted to our bodies uh, how the police does that, you know, even in our homes. So we don't even have like a sacred place to be safe. Uh, so, you know, you, you, there's some of that. Uh, there's also a, a, my first, uh, uh, um, my first landscape with a, a seat at the stolen table, which is a, a, a table mountain, which talks about displacement. Um, and it has like, and it's done, the background is done with hibiscus. It has this beautiful, uh, dark, uh, red purple color um, and the stars and I'm using copper I'm using like other other things like copper leaf um, green gold leaf um, yeah there, there's many things that, that that you can see yeah to any of our listeners or to all of our listeners who are able to to go down to the October in gallery in London um, highly recommend you do I'm sure it's uh, yeah brilliant show and um, <laughs> Alexi, that's all the questions I have. I could listen to you for a lot longer, but I, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for, for your time and especially for sharing your thoughts on um, so much that has gone on this year and for, uh, yeah, for enlightening us as well. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, man. Thanks for your interest, for your time, for everything. And um, yeah, like, enjoy your time. I enjoy Gambia. <laughs> uh, I hope I'll come back there and visit at some point. Awesome stuff. Alexi Peskin, thank you so much. Yeah. I am Peace. That was the brilliant Alexi Peskin. And if you enjoyed listening to him and want to see and know more about his artwork, uh, we have more editorial content on the tabare.com website, uh, where you can also make a bid and purchase some of his art that Tabare has on offer. Uh, and that can be delivered to you wherever you are in the world. 
Right, uh, thanks to all our listeners for joining us today. And please do join us next time, uh, where we will be speaking to Ghazi Baker, one of Lebanon's favourite artists. So until then, stay safe and see you then. <laughs>